0: Really glad to have you all here. This is Pray, Stand, Act, and I'd like to introduce the folks who are with me, my wife. I'm Scott Jones, and this is my wife, Patty, right here, and our friend Audrey Kaler, and we're going to be presenting to you today. Uh, I'd like to start by opening in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we can uh, come here to Watermark this morning and and get trained and get equipped uh, to serve you. Uh, out in uh, the society, and the community around us. Lord, we just pray that you would give us humility to submit ourselves to your precepts, the wisdom to rightly divide the word of truth, and the courage to speak the truth even in difficult circumstances. Lord, we lift up our national leaders, our state leaders, our community leaders, and we just pray that they would lead us with justice and righteousness and personal integrity. Lord, we also look at our nation and and realize the need for confession and repentance, and we just pray for a great awakening, a revival within our nation. We just pray, too, today as we uh, go through this training that you would guide us in the spirit and just point us to the works that you've appointed for us to do. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the purpose of our course today is to equip followers of Jesus Christ to act effectively in the civil society, and that's what we're going to be talking about I see we've got a few more people signing in and we're going to be just kind of going back and forth up here. We are really pressed for time. we got a lot of material to cover. So uh, what we're going to do is if questions and things come up, we've got a parking lot over here on the side. And you've got sticky, so you can just write a question on a sticky pad. Uh, feel free during the break or, or just if you want to come up here on this side and stick it up there, that's fine. And we will stick around and answer questions, but we do want to try to get through the material by, not, by 12 o'clock because there, some of you have child care, so we need to be uh, uh, keeping in mind that and honor people's time. So uh, let's see here. We have uh, we, we have uh, one special guest with us today. Uh, Jared Patterson's here. Jared's a former city council member from Saxey, and he's currently a candidate for st- uh, State Representative District 112. So thanks for coming, Jared. Appreciate your support. <clears throat> this is our agenda. We're gonna cover some uh, basic things kind of up front. We've got some activities, and we're gonna have a break. Probably closer to the front end than the middle, and then we'll get into uh, what we call our three step action plan, plan. Uh, pray, stand, act. The, these are sort of the th- three key things that we think the believers should be doing uh, when they interact with the civil society. Okay, there's no question that the climate towards Christianity is getting colder in America. Uh, this was pointed out in a recent in Premise article. And uh, actually, it's it's getting to the point where uh, we've, we've been sort of voluntarily silenced by intimidation, and we may be moving to an environment where it may be more enforced by uh, our rules, regulation, laws relating to political correctness. And this should be a concern. Now, the first piece we're going to talk about is uh, what Todd's called the first great election. This is a, the, uh, the election you really need to get right, even before you go to the polls and vote. This is something that... Uh, you need to decide. We're going to go through uh, some uh, five basic principles that kind of underlie everything. We're not going to dwell a lot of time on them, not because there aren't sufficient and good answers, but uh, you know a lot of the apologetics have been answered uh, previously by people like Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, William Lane Craig, Frank Turek. Uh, so we feel like those things have been answered. We want to move on to the application piece. So we're just going to kind of state them and, and move on at this point. Uh, whoa two slides. Assumption number one, God exists and he's active in the world. Uh, we don't believe God set the universe in motion and then, then went off somewhere to a corner, that he is actually active and, uh, and present and working through the Holy Spirit and through believers to uh, uh, make a difference in the world. We believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. It's our playbook. It's a source of truth uh, for all we do and all we believe. Assumption three, God has provided Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we enter a relationship with God only through accepting uh, the free gift of salvation that he offers. This is the first great election. This is the one you really need to get, get right. These next two points um, we've, we've borrowed from Hollis Jones' Entrusted Leader. And we think these are really important. Uh, First of all, responding with a heart for God is essential to impacting the world. If we want to impact the world for good, uh, number one, we've got to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And number two, we've got to be committed to obedience, to, to seeking out the works that he's ordained ahead of time for us to do and doing those. And we believe that God has given each of us a platform. We each have a sphere of influence in our city, our county, our community groups, our church, different areas. We've been given a platform that we can impact in the world. And we need to, to look around, see what that platform is, and go out and, and, and affect it. So a lot of what we're going to talk about is the approach and the lifestyle that, uh, that we need to adopt to be effective in the civil society.
1: And a godly pastor came up with this, which I think is very clever. We don't serve the donkey, and we don't serve the elephant. We serve the Lamb. And no political party is going to save us. That's for sure. Um, Under Todd's teaching, when we came here, uh, he went into a biblical study on on a Sunday, a couple of Sundays, on the three main institutions that were ordained by God. And you can look on uh, Watermark Radio, if you weren't going here or you missed that Sunday or whatever, but to check Wolf at the door. Because any system but God's is going to be evil and oppressive. And if we don't live under God's, we're gonna live under somebody else's. And God is our ultimate authority. God said it in his word, I believe it, but not all men do. So there will be other systems uh, devised by men.
2: Okay, so I'm going to, I feel a little loud, um, but I'm going to uh, introduce A activity because activities are fun and it keeps you guys engaged so we're going to discuss family, church, and government and so Scott if you'll forward my next slide Um, so each table is assigned one institution, family, church and government and I'm actually going to split up a couple of the tables there's eight tables so I think we'll do um, like three tables anyway we'll figure this out in a moment and so each table gets a list of relevant Bible verses, which uh, Scott is passing out right now. And feel free to find others. We just came up with some, so if you if some come to mind, then feel free to think about those. And the, the purpose of this is to really look in the Word of God um, and discover the true purpose of, and what the Lord says about, the role of family and the role of church and the role of government. So um, you have post it notes on your table and markers. If you will each, uh, or if you want to, you know, assign a scribe, but basically uh, come up with just the roles based on those scriptures and then other scriptures. And then, uh, so you have 10 minutes to prepare, dig into the word, and then uh, we'll actually, um, we have. And then we're basically going to report out... And are we putting this on a poster? Pardon me? Are we putting this on a poster? Family, church, and government, or no? No.
0: No? no, no. Okay. So we'll just
2: talk about it and discuss it internally. Okay. So you guys start. Ten minutes. Does everybody have their thing? Okay. Yeah, I
0: didn't have enough, but can you all see that all right? The screen. That's the so same thing we handed out. I'm going
2: to have these two tables do family... Actually, there's a lot of, let's do one, two, three. You guys do family. And then if you three in the back would do church, one, two, three. And then you guys do government. Okay? Government. Any questions? Thank you, guys. Forgive me for being disorganized. All right, guys and girls. That's ten minutes. Ding, ding, ding. So we're going to discuss family, church, and government in the different roles. And um, so I am going to ask, uh, first let's discuss family. I, we have a, several different kinds of verses here, um, Old Testament, New Testament. So the tables that I studied, the family section, um, anybody want to volunteer some answers and fill in uh, gaps where other tables are not getting to read about? Come on guys, don't be shy. Yes, ma'am. So we have family, and so I thought some things that you really teach uh, the are you saying daily instruction, and, so saying, uh, daily instruction and, and teach the Proverbs first. Proverbs uh twenty two six, raise up a child in in the the right way and, and he will not depart from it. Um so instruction and education of children. Anything else, family tables?
1: There's an order of authority in the family. Christ is the head over the man, and man is head over the wife. Without the
2: authority, then the family breaks down. So there's a natural um, authority uh, kind of breakdown, and, and I hesitate to say hierarchy, but... Christ is the head, and and then husband, wife, and children. Great, great. Anybody else? As partners. Right, absolutely. Everybody hear that? So um, she was just stressing the importance of husband and wife Uh, being on equal footing but as you know as the husband being uh, the head of the household um, but definitely husband and wife right did i say that correctly anybody else okay let's move on to church church tables anybody want to volunteer uh, a role that the church plays um, according to the word of god
3: fasting, and we put prayer in there as well. It should be God-focused, not man-focused, so we're not doing this to receive man's approval or waiting for man's approval. It's, we fast to God in private, and he will reward it.
2: That's awesome. I didn't even have that in my notes, so that's wonderful. Thank you. Does that, did everyone hear that? Okay. Yes, sir. Community of believers. And it it kind of left hanging the question, maybe we can answer it next. It left
0: hanging the question of what then, since we're more or less looking inward, yet we're living in a culture or in a society. Mm
2: -hmm. Great. Great. Right. To, so, in paraphrasing, to remind, reprove, and correct uh, fellow believers and, and non-believers in, in sharing the gospel, and then also caring for widows and orphans and uh, people within our community of, um, of believers, but also uh, those that are, are far, from, far from Christ. So, great. Awesome. Anything else? Yes, sir. you're absolutely right okay
0: can i make a comment on that of
2: course, i think that
0: what, what that tells us is that we have to be prepared as believers to care for the victims of persecution whether it's the people around us or other people in society that's the warning there
2: all right anything else on church okay my government tables any thoughts or comments there And if you can speak up, I, OK. So to protect, punish, to protect, uh, and to promote. Promote how? So to promote the general welfare of the community, and, um, and that's not just uh, specifically for believers, right? Yeah, it's for, for everyone in that community. Okay, anybody at this table want to jump in, or more people at this table? Yes, ma'am. Well, that Timothy verse also encourages us to pray for our
0: leaders,
1: and the first verse we read, Romans, talks about respecting um, you know, the roles that these leaders And, um, you know, so we are commanded to respect that, whether you agree with the person filling it or not. Yes. And so when you don't respect the person filling it, when you're praying for them, that makes it um, a lot easier to keep your heart in line with where it's supposed to be.
2: Exactly. So we are to pray for those God-ordained people that have been placed in power and in, in leadership over us in government, um, whether or not we voted for them or uh, anything, so it's it's just the Lord put them there for a reason, and, and it's for His glor- glory and our good that they will be there. So hard to swallow sometimes, but it's true. Anyway, yes. Right. So we end up with what we yeah. So judge the character of the man or woman that is running for office um, and really get to know them and, and I think there's really an importance of being an informed voter and uh, really doing your due diligence uh, on the forefront. So great. Okay, Pad. Thank you guys. Wasn't that fun?
1: Good job. It's always good to go to the source to get the information. So to
2: summarize, we do
1: have um, family, church, and government. I believe that through your study, you can see those and through listening to Todd. Um, Each one has distinctive roles. That's important. And what we want you to realize is, or what we think, is that when one institution usurps another, that the whole society will suffer. And that's, that's one of the biggest takeaways that we have. So I want to ask the question, has our government usurped authority in the family or in the church? So I have those two questions. So so let's look, for instance, at education. Now education is mainly public. All our tax dollars go to public education. And so um, you may choose to have private education or homeschool. Uh, And and as a teacher, years and years ago, they started to institute this thing called uh, values clarification. And, for instance... uh, there's different ways to teach moral values. And, and so one way is to moralize. That's what they call it, where we place our values on somebody. Well, that's how we believe. God has instructed us to build that into our children. But that's how they refer to it. Another approach is laissez-faire. Eh, no one has the right value system, so they'll eventually figure it out. Or we can just model and hope our kids or, or the next generation catch it or values clarification is which is what they kind of operate on have built on and improved <laughs> much to our chagrin in in the education today where you help people answer their own questions, building their own value system. They're not concerned about the content. They just want to make sure the process happens of valuing. And then they're there. Facilitators are there to assist in becoming aware of your value system and you standing up for them. So there is no right or wrong. That's just one of the ways that um, education has has not been teaching righteousness. Uh, Political correctness tolerance is number one. We cannot be judgmental. Well, if we say we're speaking the truth, soon as we say that, we have become intolerant. Um, Who cares for the poor? Did we do that? Because I was having trouble hearing some. Uh, that, That the church and family take care of the needs of those closest. But people now depend on the government because it's there. Okay, so has the role been uh, usurped? And then we have other things. They praise evildoers in the media. So instead of role models that we might choose, uh, which I see in our audience here today, um, we, we see that uh, the Boston bomber is, has a favorable picture on the front of, of Rolling Stone and is kind of held up as a hero. Anyway, there are plenty more um, Roe v. Wade permitting uh, the killing of innocents, etc. so the family is it under assault as he cues this up scott i want you to listen to the subtle or maybe not so subtle uh message of who the kids belong to and ask yourself does this fit with the biblical view much in public education
3: as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion
1: of children your kid can you start that again maybe Oh, it be nice. Did you make cookies, Mark? (laughs) She's my baker. Her family's in... I'm trying to get to it. Not
0: letting me.
1: Pray that all the IT and audio things go well. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, It was worth waiting for yeah. <clears throat> And as you can see That this is an anchor on um, Let's see MSNBC, she's a host and author
0: We
3: started with a blank slate
1: No, that didn't work bad. And then
3: we added you okay. Because you wanted a tablet that felt perfect in your hands Dual cameras so you can capture everything You wanted Beats Audio
1: We're sorry, even and a tablet. one That we're not going along with your plan. Do your children belong to you, or do they belong to the government? Now according to NBC News' cable operation, it's not you. Take a look at MSNBC's new ad featuring one of their stars, Melissa Harris-Perry, who is a left-wing professor at Tulane. She thinks children are the property of the collective. Listen closely.
3: Wow. The,
4: so once
1: again, another attack on the nuclear family. So Eric, have seen and heard this kind of thing before, but She's more bold? popular than I you know, am. We, so we I need guess to
4: point out, out that space. that isn't necessarily.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, does that fit with our biblical model of, of family? I don't think so. The church is under assault. <clears throat> uh, I, I'm sure as you read through these, maybe you're interested. Um, Maybe you've heard of the first one, but the second one, did you know that uh, at Veterans Funeral, they are banning the mention of God? Not in all, but, but they're coming up with these rules. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about homosexual marriage, and it soon may be the law of the land, nudging, nudging. Um, Family Research Council and Liberty Institute have a report out about religious hostility, and there are 135 pages in this document. So there are many more, but we didn't bring you here to depress you. The church is what? <laughs> Sorry, but we're going to em- embolden and equip and take heart. Take heart yes, uh, the church again under assault. This is in was distributed by the U.S. Army, and and you probably don't know this, but I'm proudly number one. And the reason you don't know it is because it's kind of hard to see there because I don't have a flag demonstrating me. But number one says evangelical Christians, only second to the Muslim Brotherhood. They'll just have to try harder. Wrong. Liberty is under assault. You've been hearing about the IRS waging the campaign for these different institutions. Um, I know I started a tea party, but we didn't ask for tax-deferred so or tax-exempt status, but we personally were audited in 2011. Um, even Christianity, I think it was good Samar- no, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Franklin Graham's group—they had—they've had some problems along with other Family Research Council, etc. And so some of these you are familiar with. We don't get the full slide, I guess. Okay. Um, I want you to look at that building. I don't know if you're familiar with this building, but this building is in Utah. This building will be complete in September or October of this year. It's in Utah. It is the NSA building, and it's going to be used to collect and store. Uh, data for the government, uh, phone and email data, on all citizens. And it's been in the works, but I think we're only starting to hear about it now. Um, We have lots of other things. Republican congressmen actively trying to silence talk radio, um, trying to change the Second Amendment without going through the amendment process. Uh, The top one was Fast and Furious, if you're more familiar with that uh, point. And, again, we're going to have laws against hate speech. But if we're speaking biblical truth, will that be considered hate speech?
0: Okay. Um, while we were going through the first part here, we had somebody uh, join us that I'd like to introduce. Uh, Rafael Cruz is with us today. And Pastor Cruz. Uh he- he, he has a ministry where he's been reaching out to pastors and trying to educate them on, on getting their congregations involved in civic action, kind of the same things that we're talking about now. Uh, you may also know him. He's the father of Senator Ted Cruz. And and he has a fantastic story, if you haven't heard it, uh, about uh, coming here from Cuba as a child and, uh, or as a young man. And... Um, uh, you know the, what, what this country's done for him, and he, there's an, uh, on YouTube. There's a speech he gave at FreedomWorks Works recently. It's just outstanding. It's very inspiring. If you want to look that up sometime, and watch that. Okay, Thomas Jefferson was concerned about the tendency of government to encroach on our liberty. And he said that's the natural progress of things for government to gain more power, to usurp authority, and and aggregate it to itself. And he saw that as a problem. He also reminds us, though, that Our rights are unchangeable. Our rights are unalienable. They were given to us by God, not by the government. And the government can't take those away. It doesn't have the right and the authority to do it. Marx and Lenin saw the other side of this coin. They recognized that if they get the government to appeal to people's fleshly instincts, they start taking things from the government, pretty soon they can displace the family and the church and elevate the role of government. Now, that didn't work so well in the Soviet Union, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in commenting on on the disaster that became the Soviet Union and Russia, summed it up this way. He said, men have forgotten God. That's why all of this has happened. And he went on to comment, actually, on the entire history of the 20th century, and he said, I can't think of a better way to sum it up than this. Men have forgotten God.
2: Okay, so um, I love Solzhenitsyn. I just think he's so inspiring. But um, so we have a great video that uh, Scott is queuing up right now, and um, it is actually of Watermark's uh, lead pastor Todd Wagner, who was um, a on a panel at the Wilberforce Weekend in 2012. Um, you're not familiar with william wilberforce i we have some great books over here i wanted to mention this this is kind of a great resource area so during the break you might want to walk over here and just take a look and see what great books are here um but anyway so uh the greatest evil is the weak dead and feckless church this is that's kind of like the main message (laughs) from this talk so um and then another great point is the church is good at making converts not necessarily disciples and um Uh, That's a little scary, but we need to get better at that. And um, anyway, David Barton uh, of Wall Builders um, fame, if you're familiar with him, he's another great person to look up if you are interested in this topic. And he
4: was being prosecuted for his crimes that we are now well aware of, was asked, how in the world did you get these kids to follow you? How how did you get these kids from good homes, many of them homes that even were associated with churches? How did you get these kids to be with you? And Manson looked dead at him. And he said, they were your children and you turned them out, so I took them in. What I want to do with our short time together that we have in this little section of the DVD is is basically talk about why we are where we are. And then I want to talk about whose fault is it, and then I want to talk about what we can do about it. It's been well said that really the purpose of God's word is to afflict the comforted and to comfort the afflicted. My buddy Sammy, when he was talking to you earlier on this TV, he talked about the fact that there's a thin line between the prophetic and the pathetic. And what I'm going to make the case is that there's been some people that are out there that have been extremely prophetic. And you need to be comforted. We need to say to you, well done. Keep it up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Continue to speak out. We know it's costing you something professionally. We know it's costing you something in your environment. And don't grow weary in doing good. There is one whose opinion matters, and when you're reviled, don't revile and return. Follow the one who has suffered, leaving the example that you should walk in his steps. Though he committed no sin, we do, and so we can be more humble even than Christ was. Though he committed no sin, he was reviled, and he did not revile. When he suffered, he didn't utter threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. For those of you that are being afflicted, that aren't being silent, let me comfort you. There is one who judges rightly, and he sees you. Stay strong. And now I wanted to say this. There are many of us, and specifically in the church, that need to be afflicted. Because we have put our children out. And someone else has taken them in. Why are we where we are? Well, let's go to God's word. Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen says this. Where there is no vision, the people it perish is what many people quote. That's not really what it says. It says unrestrained. They'll be out of control. They'll go every which direction. There will be chaos and disorder and a lack of beauty and a lack of good, and that's what we see. That is because the prophetic voice that didn't want to be political had become pathetic. One of the heroes, one of the men that has really inspired this entire DVD is a man by the name of William Wilberforce, and we all know that Wilberforce was used by God to to deal with the abolition of slavery and, uh, and the cruelties related to the slave trade. But the second thing that many folks forget about Wilberforce is that he was also very concerned with the reformation of manners, which is to say polity, which is to say to reform what people view as is right and is wrong. And as a follower of Christ, as a person who loved God and was concerned with doing good, Wilberforce said, we just can't take some symptom of our lack of polity, a symptom of our state. We must address the absolute source. And the source is that the church, which is the salt of society, has lost its prophetic voice. It hasn't done what it's supposed to do. It hasn't developed children that, that speak lovingly and winsomely and wisely in a way that they can take the things which they have heard in the presence of many witnesses and teach them to others also. You see, that's the plan. And the church is out there going, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to communicate. I don't know how to step up. Well, look no further than men like me Who are charged with making disciples, not just converts, not just people who buy into the God idea, but people who can represent God. The fact that the church is in a spiral of silence is a tremendous source of pain to the world. God always enters into silence and corruption and speaks. That's that's who Jesus was. He was the living word. The idea of a word was always around. It was this nebulous force of good that that the Greeks believed that if you stood against it, if you rejected it, if you uh, lived contrary to it, that it would cost you greatly. But they had no idea how to know the word, really. And so there was just a tournament of narratives, much like we're in today. And then God showed up in the person of Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form, And the word spoke, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God moved in. God never gets caught in a spiral of silence, and we are his body. We are his people. The greatest evil in America today is not some radical movement that's trying to redefine marriage, not some people who, because of what is a purported maybe discontent in their life, wants to uh, eliminate children that are in wombs that they don't want there. I think the greatest evil in America today is the weak, dead, feckless church. They are our children, and they have taken them in. In 1908, G.K. Chesterton, who was writing a biography I I heard even just yesterday as I was being equipped about Thomas Aquinas, observed this. We don't just need to convert the heathen to Christianity. We need to convert the Christian to Christianity. I I have seen the enemy, and he is us. This spiral of silence, the word is silent. The one that's to incarnate the goodness and greatness of God is not doing his voice. God has long used those that are in robes to bring about what is right in society. I I heard also in my recent studies and learnings that that those that wear the robes in society really are the ones that define society. I'm not wearing a robe, but the profession of which I'm a part is typically the ones that wear the robes. And then the others that wear the robes are those that prosecute justice and do what is good. But if we are a society of the people, by the people, for the people, and the people are sheep without a shepherd and they're unrestrained and they go every which way, why are we surprised that the judges they elect and the politicians who will then enforce what they say is right is not rooted and founded in that which is ultimately right and true and honorable and pure and holy? What is the problem? The problem is the church, which is the salt of society. When there's a decaying meat, you can see how salty salt is. The decay is there because salt hasn't been in place, and the decay continues because salt hasn't been salty. You are the light of the world. There is no plan B. And the fact that we are silent, the fact that we are putting our light under a basket, means that the world continues to walk in darkness. And so when the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. So what do we do? Well, we've got to be equipped. And, and pastors, need not scold people, pastors need to get equipped themselves. They need to go to the colsoncenter.org. They need to, they need to go to places where they can learn to articulate in a winsome, loving way, seasoned with salt, as it were, to quote the words of Paul. So that those who hear the words that they say can then themselves repeat those things to others. We look, need to look no further than the church. It, it, it grieves me that when I hear people in the church say that they don't want to be political because they don't understand the origin of politic is what is right. And the reformation of rightness is what will put America back on the right course. And the people that God wants to use are the people that embody the word of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the children that are out there following mass murderers and craziness can come home to what is good and acceptable and perfect. They have left us because we have not incarnated the goodness of the kingdom of God. Start with your marriage. Start with loving the children that have come out of your womb. Make disciples. Speak the love of Christ in a way that is consistent with the gods you say you worship.
2: Oh, hello. Um, This brings us into our next activity. Uh, So take your Post-its, and uh, we're going to have you write down things you can do actively now tomorrow and you know years to come uh to preserve liberty morality and the rule of law so just brainstorm what liberty morality and the rule of law means and what you as an individual or as head of your household or you know in your work life whatever what you can do to preserve liberty morality and the rule of law and then I'll do a follow-up. Um, it says 10 minutes on the slide, but I honestly think you can do this in five, because I believe in you. So do five. We'll check that. Go, team, go. Sorry to keep us going, but
1: I tell you, it's been hard. We've tried to cull it down, and already we're behind, as usual. I got it. Oh, we've got it. Good. As you gather,
4: there's nothing like bones to remind you of
0: your heritage. The set of ideas that is being implemented and advanced in this capital at this time is terribly frightening to people who are students of history.
5: at the Roman Empire. The parallels to what is going on in America are absolutely frightening.
0: And the question is, are we going to go the right path ourselves, or are we going to continue down the wrong path that so many nations have fallen into?
5: I can't
1: forever. wish we had time to show that movie. We don't, but I highly recommend that you get an opportunity to see the movie. Um, what we'd like to do maybe is to try and be able to show it here and invite people to see it, get um, to pay the royalties for it, or it's available on DVD, Kirk Cameron. But I really encourage you because the information is fantastic, and yet it's done in a very, very entertaining way. Um, I want to focus now, though, mainly on what it traces history all over, but it kind of culminates with this monument. It's a national monument, and... um, it's hidden among a subdivision. If you could imagine a subdivision, okay, by Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. It's about a half mile from the graves of, of that's what they were saying is funny about the bones when he said that. Well, it's about a half a mile from a grave site uh, where many of the separatists or the pilgrims uh, were buried. And uh, on the inscription, you might have seen in the trailer, there was some Hebrew written. That's on top of uh, William Bradford, who was the second governor. And on the top of it, it translates from the Hebrew Jehovah is our help. Again, showing our foundation. The monument, the National Monument, was built by Congress and the state of Massachusetts. And it answers the question how do you build liberty? Kirk Cameron calls it his secret sauce recipe card but the historian uh, uh, Marshall Foster calls it a description of the generational relay race or a blueprint or a strategy of the matrix of liberty. The movie goes into wonderful detail um, summarizing the symbolism of what was put into that monument but due to the short time I'm going to whiz by it so hang with me. The main ingredient is faith, and her head's cut off. Sorry about that. Um, But she's faith, okay? And she has, uh, at the top of there, and she's pointing to God, representing uh, heaven there. And in her hand, she's holding an open Bible, okay? So she is uh, relying on the scriptures, relying on God, and she has a star on her forehead, and that symbolizes wisdom. And the wisdom of living under God and listening to his word. Um, Then underneath, you see there are four connecting pillars. You can only see two of them, but the thing goes in a circle. The one, I probably should just be pointing, it might be easier. The teacher in me here. Okay, here we go. That one starts there, and that's morality. It's the internal character from a transformed heart. The side statue, so below that, there are some side statues, and that the, has the word evangelist, and that emphasized the spreading of the gospel, because only Jesus Christ can transform our heart, and that's what they believed as well. The next pillar you cannot see is the law. And on the side statue of the law, there is justice and mercy, the perfect balance, of some attributes of our God. This is the basis for a free and just society, the rule of law tempered with justice and mercy. The next one you can't see that goes around is education. And they have a young woman there, they, they think she's about 25 and she has a wreath of victory around her head. She's feeling good because she has trained up her children to follow the Lord in the way that they should go. She's responsible For their education. Um, The side statues. They have an old grandfatherly figure. The older generation. He's holding a Bible again. Old and New Testament. And the world. He has a Christian biblical world view. And he is sharing it in the generation. And passing the baton in this generational relay race. Now, the last one that you can see, we've come full circle on the bottom, is what Kirk Cameron calls Liberty Man. Liberty is that last pillar. It depicts a strong warrior. He has chains, this is all made of granite. So he's got granite chains, but they're broken. And his eyes are looking out. His foot is on a man, and underneath the man is the word tyranny. He has this lion skin. Wrapped around him, his shoulders, depicting that the Lion King, George, has been slain. He has a sword in his hand. He's watchful. He's prepared to defend his family, but his sword is not drawn because he sits in victory. And the side, last sa- uh, slide statue, is of peace, peace which is the desired long-term blessing uh, if this matrix is followed and that's what they believed i have not done it justice see the movie maybe, maybe we can show it here i'm not trying to advertise i get nothing from the proceeds
0: <laughs> okay so now we're ready to talk about kind of our three-step secret sauce for getting involved in uh, civil society and it starts with pray First of all, I want to thank J.P. for his excellent lesson uh, last week. It was really kind of him to give us a lead-in by reminding us that we need to be devoted in prayer, we need to be watchful, and we need to pray with thanksgiving. That's a fundamental foundation. The Apostle Paul reminded us to rejoice always and pray without ceasing. We should be continually in prayer, lifting our our praise, our thanksgiving, and our petitions up to God Almighty. In 2 Chronicles... We're reminded that God listens to prayer, that, that if people humble themselves and pray and seek him and turn from their wicked ways, he will hear their prayers and heal their land. And, and if you look out and like we do, think that there's some healing that needs to be done. We need to be lifting our voices up to God and praying, uh, praying that he would heal our land. Our first president, George Washington, gave us this reminder. National morality depends on religious principle. And George Washington was a devout Christian. So when he talks about religion in a quote like this, he's talking about Christianity. He's not talking about other religions or religion in the abstract. But he says, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. So without national morality, there is going to be no national repentance.
2: All right. So with personal prayer, um, all of us as, as Christian believers, I, this is our main form of communication with the Lord on a daily basis. Um, so we always want to make sure that we uh, approach the Lord. I mean, there's a number of different ways uh, that you can learn to pray. There's the Acts method, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication um, I just for fun, I kind of googled different ways to to pray last night, and there's lots of different ways it, it really doesn't matter as long as you approach him with humility, courage, and wisdom and just and and approaching him with a sense of um, just just real need for him uh, and for him to really speak to you and to um, just kind of approach him with humility so um, one of my favorite things that Todd has ever uh, has said in one of his sermons is, if I want to change the world, draw a circle and change everything within that circle, and then invite other people to come into your circle and kind of do life with you. And through that method, we'll eventually change the world, ideally. So um, that's kind of what I think about when I Think of prayer as I'm, my purpose in prayer is I'm approaching the Lord um, so that he'll speak to me and challenge me personally through his word and through prayer um, so that I can change and then be a positive impact on others. So, um, humility, uh, one of my favorite verses just in terms of walking humbly with with God is Micah six eight he has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your god so that 's a great daily reminder and wisdom um, you know we just it 's important that we uh, have a spirit of wisdom and more than anything, I'm, I'm not wise, um, but I am asking for wisdom and discernment. And so also when you're praying for our leaders, um, both elected and even praying for your husband or praying for your children, pray for wisdom. Um, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowing your place in things, that God is, is above us and, and God is um, all-encompassing and all-powerful and that we need him. So... Um, Let's see, and then wisdom from above. I love this verse, and I'll just kind of uh, go over it quickly. But who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't drag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James three thirteen through 18
0: God also commands us to have courage, and if you're going to go out into the civil society where there's going to be opposition, there's people out there, you might have noticed it, don't think like we do. It's going to take courage. God tells us repeatedly to be strong and courageous and and to rely on him. He's the one that strengthens us. We're not relying on our own strength. We're relying on on the fact that, that we serve God Almighty, and we can call on his strength So we should be praying for courage and praying that that he would, would guide us with wisdom and humility into the endeavors that he has for us to do. And when you go out there and face opposition, which you surely will, take heart. We have the peace of Christ. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You see, Jesus is not only the Lamb of God, but he's the Lion of Judah. We're marching with the Lion of Judah, and ultimately, the victory is his. And that's why we can, we can have confidence and, and go out and, and speak uh, to the world, speak into civil society, because we're serving God, and he's going to be victorious.
1: Amen. We need to pray for our nation. Leaders, pray for revival. Um, it says, Our Constitution was made for only a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to government of any other. John Adams. So if our leaders have not voted correctly in the first election, if they don't have Jesus Christ in their heart, then how are they going to lead? So we need to pray for them. It's kind of hard to be moral and, and truthful even when we have the Lord, so if they don't even have that help with the Holy Spirit. And if we don't, if we are not praying for our nation to have godly citizens, how might they live and how might they vote at the table? There are ways, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but. Um, Free information over there and some information over here on how to, that there are organizations out there in our wonderful world. We can just Google it. And at the end of your outline, you will see we have many references to where you can go to find out about these things. But we have some information out here too as well. <clears throat> in Jeremiah, it is to, we are told, to seek the welfare of the city I have depart, uh, deported to you, pray, Um, The National Day of Prayer we have in our our country uh, predates the founding of the United States, evidenced by the Continental Congress and their proclamation in 1775. They set aside a day of prayer. In 1952, Congress established a National Day of Prayer, and in 1988, Congress made a law and amended it designating that the National Day of Prayer is to be the first Thursday of every month. Of every May, sorry. That'd be great if it was every month, but it's not. First Thursday of every May. So you can count on it. You already know the next date. I think it's May 1st for next year. Um, in the Old Testament, we have pray for the life of the king and his sons. Well, as recorded in Ezra, King Cyrus issued a decree that the temple be rebuilt. And so Cyrus is, uh, is asking for this, and he supplies the temple the Jewish temple. And then he requests the Jewish leaders to pray for him and his sons. In the New Testament, we have a reason why we should pray. Paul urges us through the Lord's prompting to pray so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So it has a good purpose. Praying for our leaders as we talked about praying for ourselves, we need to pray for them for the same thing. Pray that they elect Christ as their Savior and have the same virtues that we have desire in our hearts.
0: Okay, Reverend Charles Finney. He was an evangelist in the 19th century, uh, commonly associated with what we call the Second Great Awakening. And uh, he answers the question, why are politics corrupt? He says, our if our politics becomes so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. In other words, he's saying that the church is responsible for the morality of the nation. We're responsible for speaking truth, leading to be models and examples. Uh, the church needs to set, step up if we're going to change the direction that we're heading right now uh, because we'd rather be none of it than Sodom. So we'll talk a little bit about revival in Amos, it says, hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And that's what we want to do. We want to encourage people to turn from evil, to love what is good and seek justice. And perhaps God will have mercy on our nation. Uh, I've heard many godly men say recently that they feel like the Holy Spirit is really moving, that we may be on the, the verge of another great awakening. I'm not a prophet. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. If that's what's happening, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss it. Okay, the, the, uh, the first great awakening took place in the 1700s. It began in uh, 1731 with the preaching of Jonathan Edwards in Boston. And he went on... Uh, it spread out from there across all of New England, and it really got a kind of a jump start when George Whitfield, the, the uh, English evangelist, uh, crossed over in 1740 and began preaching in the United States. And Whitfield's like like an amazing guy. This guy crossed the Atlantic 13 times to preach in the United States. Now I don't know about you, but crossing the Atlantic in coach is a beating. Okay, this guy came across on a sailing ship. It was wet. It was cold. It was dank. Thirteen trips he made. He, he, he preached over 18,000 sermons and reached an estimated 10 million people. Uh, amazing guy. No PowerPoints, no microphones, no video, no YouTube. Um, really amazing. But as he did this and people like Jonathan Edwards and the other, other clergy began to speak, there were some things that kind of bubbled to the surface. And some of the significance is they began to talk about the fact that all men are created equal in the eyes of God. <laughs> They talked about things that all men deserve equal justice under the law. And they they began to think, you know, uh, if we're really going to preserve religious freedom in our country, we need a system of self-government. And and we also need to be represented in the English parliament. So these things began to be talked about. And frankly, eventually, when when King George kept pushing back and resisting their demands, it led to the Declaration of Independence. In fact, the English recognized that the clergy played such a large role in the American Revolution, they referred to them as the black-robed regiment. That was considered a term of derision for the American clergy, but they recognized it was like having a regiment uh, in the war uh, in the person of those clergy. Of course, many of the clergy donned uniforms and led the men of their congregation out to battle. Uh, In England, they also referred to the American Revolution as the Presbyterian Revolution. The uh, second revival in the United States occurred in the early part of the 19th century. It started about 798 and ran through about 1850. And it was a little bit different. Some of the focuses there were Christian education, social activism, uh, political activism. Some of the movements that came out were women's suffrage, but most significantly, abolition. Actually this movement started in England also. England uh, underwent a a reformation, which uh, two things. Uh, One was... uh, uh, the abolition movement and the anti-slavery movement that rose up in England. That was also accompanied by the reformation of manners. They tried to reform. Actually, British society was a pretty ugly place before the reformation of manners, and they began to get into things like prison reform and um, and other issues like that, stopping animal cruelty, and and to reform the British society. And that just spilled over here. So many of the same things came to the United States. But the greatest impact. Is uh, it really seared the conscience of the country in regards to safe slavery? And that's what kickstarted the abolition movement, eventually led to the Civil War and the freeing of the slaves.
1: I have a personal passion to pray for Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem. That's from a trip we went to, we love it. Anyway, so I wanted to find out. Um, what are the things that you have decided would be a good under the action point of prayer? And we kind of came up with this idea because, or really my husband did, because we were gathering, gathering with like-minded people, but all people wanted to do was to vent and send emails and forwards. And it was like, we've got to do something, people. So <laughs> let's see what you have put down here. Pray for our leaders. Good job. Good job. Do you know who your leaders are so that you can pray for them? Pete Sessions, people might have here. We have our president, vice president, etc. Just plain pray. Amen. Start the day continually through it. End it with it. Up, oh, start the day with prayer and the word. Oh, perfect. Pray with other believers. Yeah, there's no reason why you can't get together with some other believers and pray specifically for some of the things we've talked about today, as well as your families and such. Moms in Touch started to pray for their school children, praying for teachers, and then we can expand that. I'm trying to think of what it would be called, Moms in, for Politics. Mop. Never mind. Pray daily with intentional prayer, yes. Know Christ is liberator, yes. Know the word, yes. Read scriptures, yes. Pray for leaders continually. I know if I was up there, I'd be praying, having people pray for me not to lose my soul. I can imagine you would get up there and get right into the swamp. Scripture memory, know the word. Good choices, good choices.
2: See, here we are. Okay, so we have a duty to stand for the rule of law in our land. Um, stand on the Bible first and foremost. Second Timothy three sixteen says all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Um, those of us that are doing the nine week challenge right now with Watermark, this was a verse that we covered a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, Stand on the Bible. Uh, It is good for the soul, and it teaches and corrects us and uh, rebukes us when we need to be set back on on the right path. Um, Moral absolutes. I love this quote by Rick Green in Freedom's Frame. Uh, Framework of our government recognizes that there are certain self-evident truths. One of these is the existence of moral absolutes. You cannot live your life without moral absolutes. The assertion that there are no absolutes is itself. A moral absolute, a shaky theory at best. So they're essential to life. The rule of law actually really is biblical. This, so we need to stand on God's word as it is. The Mosaic law, um, you know, governed the lives of, of thousands for uh, hundreds thousands of years, but the founders relied on Judeo-Christian principles our founders uh, really relied heavily on John Locke's two treatises uh, on government, which actually includes over 1,500 references to the Bible as fundamental to government. Um, it's actually a, a good read. I read through some of it uh, in preparing for this, so that that's good, but... Um, you know, it's it's just very important that we understand the difference between a constitutional republic and a democracy. We actually are a constitutional republic. A democracy is is purely majority rule. So, if the majority of this room decided that I needed to leave the room because I have red hair and freckles, and it doesn't the majority rule is not respecting that I have inalienable, inalienable rights, then I would have to leave the room but because we are, this is a dumb example, but you get my point, because we are a constitutional republic and I have protected rights and there are checks and balances in place for a reason, we're a constitutional republic. Does that make sense? So that's important to really grasp. Um, select capable men and women. Um, so in Acts 6, three, therefore brethren select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we, we may put in charge of this task. So, uh, and then there are also some good uh, references in Titus uh, and was it Second Timothy, I think um, just about uh, the characteristics and qualities of um, good men in the role of in the roles of deacons and um, just elders of the church. Thank you. So here you go, Scott. Thank you.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Romans 13, and, and this may spawn a little bit of controversy, but Paul says in Romans, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, and consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And uh, one of the things about this verse is this is a verse that the Protestant leaders in Germany went to in the 30s to justify the fact that as Hitler was rising to power, they didn't want to oppose him. Even though he was breaking the laws of Germany as he came to power, uh, they said, well, we, we, can't, we can't do that. Um, as Audrey said, we are a constitutional republic. We're, we're not a democracy. Uh, it's just, we don't do whatever the, uh, uh, the majority says. We must follow the law. And that means that our governing authority, in my opinion, is the co- U.S. Constitution. That's, the, that's Below God, that's the next governing authority. And that means that when he says everyone is subject to the governing authority, that means that people that are put in elected office or appointed office or judges or whatever, they are subject to the governing authority. They're subject to the Constitution and the laws that are properly enacted under that. And they need to obey it as well. And when they don't, what happens when the government stops obeying the governing authority over them? Well, that's a time for the citizens to get involved and make some changes. You see, we have a system that allows the citizens to hold governing officials accountable when they violate the laws under the governing authority. And it's important that we do that because, as Thomas Jefferson said, government will just increase its power. We may have a limited time in which we can actually use the instrumentalities of government, of the electrical process that we have in our hand today. And uh, as Lenin and Alinsky have reminded us, once the guns of government are turned on the citizens, choices get a lot more difficult. Peter Marshall reminds us that freedom doesn't mean we can do whatever we want to. I can do whatever I want with my body. I can do whatever I want with with this, that, or the other thing. That's not it. Freedom means we have the opportunity to do what is right. That presumes that we know what is right, and 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 that we're informed about what is right but that's that's a tremendous opportunity that's given to us
1: so the Bible is the basis for the rule of law now let's see how that's been implemented in the United States every civil government is based upon some religion or philosophy of life In America, the foundational religion is Christianity. Our liberty, growth, and prosperity was a result of biblical philosophy of life. That's by Noah Webster. Okay. Mayflower Compact. Imagine you signed up for what you thought was gonna be a three-week voyage. But it takes eight weeks, not a cruise line. The boat wasn't even built for passengers. It was built for carrying wine. Quite frankly, the conditions were gross. I won't go into them. The Mayflower lands much farther north than it's supposed to. So we have, uh, we're not in the bounds of of the company of London, let's say the London company, or the territory where they were authorized to settle. So as they are nearing this situation, William Bradford starts to become uneasy because of the factions that are brewing among the people. Because we have to remember, there were 102 passengers. They were made up of the pilgrims, or the separatists, depending upon what you want to call them, and the businessmen that were going, plus the 30 crew members. Since they were beyond the bounds of Virginia, and this London company where they were supposed to go, they were in a unique situation. Now the separatists, knowing why they came, did not believe that this happened by accident. But they realized that they needed a system to get along with the other folks that didn't come for the same reason, businessmen, or the crew members who were making a living. So they all gathered together with God under God, and among themselves, while still on the boat. This was the first self-government. That's why this document is so important. Not like before where it was top-down, the king was in charge. There's no king. But instead, this is a civil charter where they all got together. And so I want to point out two things that are relevant to our discussion today. I want you to see, you can't read because it's written in the old English and it's small, but it starts out, in the name of God, amen. That's how it starts. That's not how it ends. You know how our little tagline, in Jesus' name, amen. This starts out, in the name of God, amen. And then there's a section in there, which again, I wish I could have highlighted, but it was a picture, so I couldn't. Having, having undertaken for the glory of God, and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's the reason the separatists, pilgrims, came to America. Kind of says it in a nutshell, doesn't it? Um, if we had more time, I could go into the rest of what they civilly agreed to do once they got on the land, and in and, and action did. But from, main, from right now, remember that this is part of our Christian heritage and the first self-government charter.
0: Okay, so fast forward. Philadelphia, 1776. The Continental Congress is meeting Independence Hall, and they've come to the realization that King George is not going to uh, grant redress to their grievances. Uh, Shots have been fired in Boston. Uh, So they met, and they crafted a document that we call today the Declaration of Independence And uh, the Declaration of Independence, if you read it, it actually has three sections to it. It's it's important to understand how it's structured. The first is a statement of values. They lay down six self-evident truths that they believe govern all human affairs and, and, and government. And then they enumerate the wrongs of the king. They just list out all the things King George has done wrong based on those truths. And the first one is he has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. In other words, they're charging King George, first thing, hey, king's not obeying the law. And the last part, they declare independence. It clearly, uh, th- they were founding th- this government, this country as they declared independence on Christian principles. Actually, there were a lot of theological debates that went on in the deliberations in Independence Hall, both during the Declaration and later during the Constitution. But if you look at the preamble, they appeal to the God, to creator. Our creator is our source of unalienable rights. That means if if God is the source, the king can't take it away. And as they conclude, they appeal to divine providence and the supreme judge of the world to bless their actions, because they know that what they're doing is pretty, shall we say, revolutionary. Uh, never been done in the world before. These are the self-evident truths. And these are, these are really, you can, you can look at this uh, as uh, sort of the foundation of our government. This is, this is what our civil society is based on in the United States. All men are created equal in that they are endowed by their creator with unalienable rights. Governments are instituted to secure these rights. Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. It is the right of the people to alter or abolish government. This one's interesting. Mankind is disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable. In other words, we'll put up with a lot of nonsense, but it is the right and duty of man to throw off despotic government. Uh, If you work in business, you're used to seeing a thing called a vision and value statement. The Declaration is the vision and value statement for the United States. The Constitution is based upon that vision and that values that was laid down in 1776 in Independence Hall. Dr. Larry Arne, the president of Hillsdale, Hillsdale College, said, the moral foundation of the Constitution is the Declaration of Independence and its principle of equal rights. Under the Constitution, government was to be limited you protecting those rights
1: you each have a copy on your desk and feel free we want you to have it we want you to keep it we're going to go through it and not that you should remember that when you do your um, elevation evaluation later that you got a freebie, but nonetheless, (laughs) it's for you to keep. And unlike Obamacare, oh, I shouldn't have said that. It's only about 17 page document, but I want you to get one now. Open it up. It starts off, uh, your copy may, um, I think yours was, but is different one copy than I have, so our page numbers might be a tad off, but um, it has the Declaration of Independence, I believe, and then it starts with the preamble, which the preamble, if you don't have one, there isn't enough at your table, put your hand up and Audrey will bring you one. Okay, so um, the preamble, which you're probably familiar with, we the people, it was written big. I think Glenn Beck said, I wonder why they wrote it so big. Well, it may have been a reason, because this is <laughs> we're the ones who put this together, we the people. In order, there was a reason why they did it, and it's to secure blessings. Okay, you see Article 1. I'm going to kind of go super fast. You're going to wish that your profs all did this when they were in... In school, but as fast as I'm going. But Article One is all legislative power is granted and vested in the Congress. Okay, that's the two houses, the Senate and the um, and the House of Representatives. So only the rules, the laws, can come from there. Keep your hand there because I'm going to do an overview. Go back. Have a few other summations. Look at the different sections, sections, section A. Okay, and now you're at Article 2, Roman numeral. Remember those Roman numerals? Okay, I'm on page 9. I don't know in your document where you are. It would be close to that, I would imagine. This is the executive power. This is the president, okay, and all of his executive powers. Okay, turn the page. Come to Article Roman numeral 3. Mine's 12. 26? Really? I thought this was a 17-page document. Okay. You have, must have the... Uh, <laughs> oh, there's stuff in the beginning. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Article Ruminum 3. That's the judicial power um, uh, that, about our courts. And you'll notice this is kind of pretty small. These three branches of government, of the three branches of government, they kind of get the least Text. Article 4 is next. That is the states, their rights and duties. Article 5, keep turning the page, Roman numeral 5, amendments to the how you would amend the Constitution. So if you change things, that's how you go about changing things. Isn't that interesting? The founders had a way to change things. Oh, well. Shame it's not followed. Okay, Article 6. That's about prior debts, kind of had to do with what, what was happening back then. Then we have Article 7. This is the ratification process. We may be hearing about more about that. And then these are the people who were involved in the signing and the putting it together. And mine continues about the convention. Maybe yours does too. And later on, we will talk about the Bill of Rights with, with Audrey. Now, go back to where I asked you to do a placeholder for your Article 1 just as a wrap-up on the legislative branch. Maybe you're remembering this from history, or maybe you're realizing, I didn't know this. (laughs) I know my homeschool daughter knows. Anyway, Section 1, that only the legislative power is granted to Congress, so nobody else is supposed to make up the rules. Section 7, if you flip to that, That's where the bills are raising the revenue. They must originate in the House of Representatives. Okay? So when you want to talk about how money gets, go to your rep. Maybe many of you have Pete Sessions. Section 8. Now, you can count them. 18 specific powers granted to Congress. So if you look at Section 18, I mean Section 8, you'll notice it says... Congress shall have the power to. Okay, to do this, to do that. Okay, so that's where we're counting the 18. To lay and collect taxes, skip down, to borrow money. Next one, to regulate commerce. Next one, to establish the uniform rule of naturalization. Well, that could be interesting. Okay, anyway. Um, all right, and if you count all those twos, you'll come up with the 18. Notice at the very end, there isn't any general provision. It doesn't say all of this plus anything else we decide. It doesn't say that. It is limited to these. There's one more section in here that has the Congress has the power, so we could say maybe 19, but it's just not in here. But that's it. Not that we would know that by experience. Okay, executive branch. Executive power is vested in the president. He takes an oath, and the oath says, and you'll if you go down, you'll i passed it, but it says, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend. I guess you should know it. Again, judicial... Du, judicial. Would you say that for me?
2: Judicial. Thank
1: you. Branch and it is smaller. It talks about the power in the Supreme Court, the inferior courts, as Congress may establish. It defines the jurisdiction in Section 2 of the federal courts to federal law, interstate cases, foreign cases, and maritime cases, and it preserves our trial by jury. And the Section 3 of that article talks about treason. To summarize, got it? To summarize? Yes, we do. Okay, uh, we have George Washington, quote, the adoption of the Constitution will demonstrate as a visible finger of the providence, as providence refers to God, as any possible event in the course of human affairs as can ever designate it. Article 1 limits federal authority laws to 18 specific enumerated powers. Article 5 tells us how we can amend those.
2: Okay, so next we are going to, if you flip directly to the center of your book, we have the uh, amendments to the Constitution and what are commonly referred to as the Bill of Rights. So uh, we're going to discuss the first ten quickly. Uh, so most of us are familiar with a lot of these, you know, you may be familiar with it because of um, Law and Order. I watch too much Law and Order, so I was always like, I'll play the fifth or whatever. So um, anyway, so uh, um, our First Amendment rights are religion, speech, press, assembly, and uh, the rights to redress our grievances. Uh, Second Amendment, keep and bear arms. Third, soldiers cannot be quartered within our homes. This was really put in place as a result of the Revolutionary War. Um, so uh, we can talk more about that later. Security from unreasonable search and seizure warrants must be based on probable cause. This is our Fourth Amendment. Five, grand jury. There's no double, je- no double jeopardy and there must be due process of law. Six, we have a right to speedy public to a speedy and public trial, and uh, also the right to confront witnesses. Um, seven, trial by jury in civil cases. Eight, prohibits and ex- excessive bail, excessive fines, and cruel and unusual punishment. So most of us are pretty familiar with uh, these first eight, and then nine and ten, kind of, um, I don't know. I always. I don't think about them as amendments generally, so, but they really are. The people retain other rights not specified is our ninth amendment. So anything that's not in the constitution or in these first eight amendments, uh, the people retain other rights not specified. So it, it gives, our founders kind of wrote in this kind of leeway or any opportunity in the future that was unforeseen to make sure that the rights of the people would be protected. Uh, Number ten, powers not enumerated are reserved to the states and to the people. So, uh, like I said, this is a this is an extra layer of protection for um, state government and for people. So we have uh, religious liberty is constitutional. Um, Amendment one, we discussed that earlier, but it, it is it's not prohibiting the free exercise. Um, thereof of religion and it's not really uh, it's not protecting government from religion it's rather protecting religion from the interference of government James Madison uh, I'm sorry if you can't read the, the white text in the black box but it's uh, really great the civil rights of none shall be abridged on account of religious belief or worship nor shall any national re- religion be established and let me see if I can pick out, but there, at the end, um, it says, well, I'll just read his whole quote, "...that religion or the duty which we owe to our Creator and the manner of discharging it can be directed only by reason and conviction, not by force or violence, and therefore all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience and that it is the mutual duty of all to practice." And then it goes on to say, Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards each other. So, I mean, it's obvious. And James Madison actually um, is credited with writing uh, the First Amendment. And then he was also uh, very influential and actually helped to write the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So, um, it's very clear to me that uh, he was a believer. So... Uh, let's discuss Stan. So I'm just going to step back here and review what you guys came up with. So know what you believe in. Why cannot agree with you more? Know the Word of God. Be informed about current events. Fear God, not man. Study the Constitution. This is a very pretty post it. Um, speak for truth and love, regardless of opposition. So be courageous when speaking out. Um, speak out to circle to your circle of influence. Spread your faith, share the gospel, be courageous, respond and respect, be truthful and winsome and kind, example, be an example of morality, um, vote, and um, beware of the bondage of sin. Who wrote that one? Who wants to talk to me about that? Anybody? Okay. Well, anyway, bondage to sin. What? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, let's see. Scott, thank you.
0: Okay. Uh, Just a quick uh, piece of administration here. We do have evaluations they've asked you to fill out. So while I'm going through this next piece, ask you ladies to Mm -hmm. put some of those on each table. Thank you. Okay, so now we come to the third step in our our three-part process. We've covered pray, we've covered stand, and now we're going to talk about act. And we ask the question, how then should we take action when the opportunity exists to do so? And I've got this uh, poster I stole shamelessly from C.L. Bryant. Uh, He really intended this uh, to be aimed more at the black community, but I think it applies to us as well. And uh, he says, you think you're up there at the top. You think that, that you're living in freedom when in fact you're actually on the right side. You're in apathy. And if we stay in apathy, if we're apathetic and our government keeps increasing in power and taking more to itself, we end up in enslavement at the bottom where we're headed. What he says is we should be in revolt. Now, I'm not saying go out and let's have armed revolt. Remember, we're in a nation of laws. We have instrumentalities at our disposal. We have the ballot box. We have party processes. We have many other civic processes that we can use to revolt when the government Starts exceeding its authority. Martin Luther King Jr. said, freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. We look in the Old Testament. There are many, many examples in the Old Testament of religious people, religious leaders, speaking truth to the political leaders. Moses confronted Pharaoh, let my people go. Samuel confronted Saul, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Nathan confronted David, you are the man. Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel spoke to Babylonian, Median, and Persian kings uh, truth that they knew because they were believers in God Almighty. In the New Testament, we have the example of Paul. At least three times in the book of Acts, Paul asserted his rights as a Roman citizen to stop what was being done to him by the authorities. And we can do the same. We can follow that example. We have rights. We have unalienable rights as American citizens. And we have not just the right or the privilege, but the duty to assert those rights when they're infringed on, just like Paul did in Acts. We must speak truth to our leaders and to our nation. William Penn said, right is right, even if everyone is against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. So how about the separation of church and state? Well, first of all, we didn't talk about it in the Constitution because it's not in the Constitution. Todd actually pointed out one time, there is no spiritual and secular divide. We are expected by God, to speak truth into our society, not say, politics over here, church over here, keep them apart. And that raises the question, what is the role of the church in the face of government that has self-consciously excluded God from their policies? And that was answered by Hitler. Hitler said to uh, Martin Niemöller, you confine yourself to the church. I'll take care of the German people. And that left uh, Niemöller in kind of a sad situation. He later said... First, they came for the socialists, and I was not a socialist, so I did not speak out. And then they came for the trade unionists, but I was not a trade unionist, so I did not speak out. And then they came for the Jews, but I was not a Jew, so I did not speak out. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to stand with me. So we have a slide here I call Building the Box. The situation we find ourselves in in the United States today didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in the last election or the one before it. This has been a work in progress really since the end of the 19th century when a a movement called progressivism arose. And there's a lot of people that have written lately on this history. And without going into detail, we'll kind of fast forward. But one of the key milestones was 1962 when the Supreme Court ruled uh, to remove prayer from the the schools. And the things seemed to get worse. The 1960s, we saw a rise in promiscuity, the use of drugs. The 1970s brought us abortion. The 80s uh, were marked by a lot of materialism that's still with us today. The 90s, we saw public corruption. We saw the highest official in the land lying uh, under oath. The 2000s brought runaway spending and really the beginnings of lawlessness. And we see in the, in, in the current decade, continuation of lawlessness and now an assault on marriage. And uh, my opinion, I think you're seeing the rise of the homosexual agenda. I think this is the lid for the box. I think the idea is to build this box, confine Christianity because it can no longer speak to the civil society and then slam the lid on. You're no longer allowed to speak God's truth on this particular issue. And once you take away one piece of the Word of God, you're diminishing all of it. So we're in an we're in interesting situation. So what's the role of the church? The church needs to preach against unrighteousness in our nation. They need to train and equip their members in the Word of God, but also in the Constitution and a biblical approach to civic action. We must speak moral truth to the government. We must defend our God-given liberties. If the government's allowed to take away one God-given right, what's to stop them from taking all of them? Um, Another thing of the church, we talked about the church's duty to care. If government becomes oppressive, if it becomes truly oppressive, they're going to be victims. And one of the responsibilities of the church is to care for those victims, to be prepared to care for those victims. So that's another side that we have to remember. Uh, Tertullian uh, Roman author, said, you cannot parcel out freedom in pieces because freedom is all or nothing. So that tells us we can't be single issue pis- of You know, I'm, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to work against abortion, but I'm not interested in this other stuff. I'm not interested in the second amendment. I'm not interested in due process. You know, I'm just going to do this one thing. No, unalienable rights, it's kind of an all or nothing thing. And even the Romans recognize that. Here's Charles Finney again, uh, speaking to us from the Second Great Awakening. He said, politics are a part of religion in such a country as this, and Christians must do their duty to the country as part of their duty to God. So we must be active in politics and civil affairs.
2: Okay, so um, Ezekiel 33, 1 through 7, uh, it is... Quite lengthy, but um, once again, a message came to me from the Lord, son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then, if those who hear the the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins But I will hold the watchmen responsible for their deaths. And then it goes on to say in verse 7, Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins. And I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent... They will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. So I I love this, uh, just the idea that we are all watchmen in different circles of influence and uh, just the people that we run into in our families here at church, everywhere, uh, but we all have a role and a a duty uh, to play and being active. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, many of us are familiar with him, but... um, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to act. Not to act is to act. So apathy is not really um, a good method of, of being and modus operandi. Like, it's just not, it's not acceptable. Apathy is not an option. Speak the truth in love. And, and this is something that I struggle with is I have an opinion and I always want to share it. And um, that doesn't always work out well because... Um, I am not always kind and winsome and um, full of love. So believers have a responsibility to the world, and it isn't easy. We have to speak up, and we have to share the word of God and share what is right and true. But America, we need to speak the truth in love, according to Ephesians. Um, Do not let kindness or truth leave you.
1: You're familiar with the story of Esther. She was um, an orphan, a Jewish orphan, and she was cared by from her uh, uncle Mordecai. She finds favor, and she's chosen to become the queen, but her king does not know that she's Jewish. She finds herself in a position, a very awkward one, where Haman, which was her uncle's arch rival, becomes the highest of all the nobles. Haman sets out a plan to use the fact that Mordecai wouldn't kneel and pay him homage not only to kill him, but to kill all of the Jews. Esther finds herself in an uncomfortable position. Here she is in the middle of royalty. She's enjoying all the goodies that go with it. She's having a fairy tale life. But her uncle reminds her that if she has found out that she is a Jew that she's going to have the same, she could possibly have the same fate as the rest of her people. So Uncle Mordecai says to her, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I ask, maybe we did away with royalty in the United States, only to have it creep back in under tyranny hundreds of years later, and that puts us in an uncomfortable position. Do we have to give away our comforts? Sacrifice them for the next generation to preserve freedom and liberty? I don't know. If not, will we have the same fate if we don't? Another hero. Scott loved the book, recommends it. It's over there if you want to look at it. Amazing Grace, it was a movie, fantastic, I recommend it. He's a very unlikely hero. But let me emphasize, he really went against the odds. Makes me wonder if he wasn't there, put there in that time, in that English, because he's in England, in this English parliament for such a time as then too. After writing this, I read that one of his dear old friends, John Newton, told him the exact same thing. I'd like to note that when he started the abolition of slavery movement, or joined it, 37 years. I've only been involved really seriously for four, and it seems like forever. 37 years. So don't get tired. Eric Metaxas expressed enjoying writing Wilberforce's biography by saying, great story is a great story, but a true story. Now that one's one that needs to be told. I thought the best way to describe Wilberforce would be by... um, sharing with you Prison Fellowship's description for their Wilberforce Award that they give annually. And it's named, of course, under, after William. And it's given to someone for making a significant impact on the social ills of the day through personal effort, skill, and influence, for showing perseverance and selflessness in combating injustice, even to the point and willingness to sacrifice personal cover, comfort career reputation for making for the purpose of for making positive change in the values and character of society reforming manners we've been hearing that word tossed about again that's associated with william force but reforming manners through personal witness example and education and for serving as an exemplary witness for christ
2: Okay, quickly, um, some of you uh, may know that I uh, ran a voter registration drive last uh, fall and registered about 400 voters here in Watermark. So just, it was a lot of fun. Um, Yay, that's great. Um, More than anything, it's just awesome to uh, have lots of, of people interested in voting and, and really want to get involved. So um, I'm happy to talk to you more about how to do that. So uh, there's actually a great website, dallascountyvotes.org has gotten a makeover. It looks fantastic now. And there's um, you, you can actually go online and request a voter registration drive and Or voter registration card, which actually still has to be mailed in um, for right now, but there are certain dates. Just be aware that uh, there are certain cutoff times before an election. Like you have to be registered to vote. Um, And if you miss the deadline, you're kind of out of luck until the next election cycle. So just um, if you're not registered, please come talk to me and I will help you uh do that the other thing is think about running your own voter registration drive it is literally the most simple easy thing to do um you just have to become a deputy registrar which literally just means you are signing on a line and the county is a-okay with that so and you can do that for multiple counties as i did it's a lot of fun and it's very worth your time okay Um, We're just going to go through this really quickly
1: because of the time, as you can see. Uh, Precinct, we're all divided into precincts. The number of your precincts on your voting card. Sachse, for instance, where I'm from, has six precincts. There are two counties. So there's a Dallas County and there's a um, Collin County, and there just happens to be three of each precincts. But the county is the basic voting jurisdiction in Texas. And then we are also divided into Senate districts and uh, congressional districts. And then further on there are school and um, city elections and political subdivisions. The process here, again, we went through it. They walk you through it. People walk you through it. It's really that you can try to seem intimidating at first, but it is, and it is intimidating. But the more you're there, you have a right. You just read this book, We the People. Chris. Davis, who's in our body at Watermark, uh, hit, went all the way up to being the Secretary, no, State Board, Texas, Republican, I wow, don't Executive Committee, <laughs> believe me, it's, it's up there on the top. Her entry level probably was at the precinct convention. To become a delegate for the precinct convention, all you have to do is show up. You have to go to the polls where you voted, at 7 o'clock they close. There should be a polling place listed outside your um, area, and you just go to the precinct meeting. And there you get to decide whether you want to go on to the higher things that they have. And then you also get to bring resolutions, what you'd like to see in the party platform. So this is party related. You choose Republican or you choose um, Democratic, Democratic. (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Uh, do we have others? Do we have is the Green Party? An indip- is, is there an, a Green Party? There's some other ones, too. So it has to be an official party, though. Uh, and then there are uh, these other opportunities you can go to. I want to point out at the state convention, um, that's where all then, all the representatives of delegates would go. You get an alternate. Alternate gets to do something if the um, delegate doesn't show up. But they're every other year. It's not every June. Okay. Every other year. And depending upon whether it's a presidential race or not, there are some different rules. But once you get involved, people walk you through it because they're walking through for the first time or maybe it's their second time. They're happy to teach. Bye. This is yours. Oh, this is is, uh, self-explanatory as well. An election judge, when you go in to vote there's a person who is in charge, may not be always obvious, but that's the person that gets all the problems and things, but he's the one that controls that jurisdiction that day, makes sure that that, uh, things are going smoothly and and legally. Um, Scott's been one uh, several years and I've been his clerk, so I'm his right-hand person, am I on the right side? And and we just help him do that. Those two um, work for the county and then the poll watcher though we're, is appointed by the party. So you go in to make sure things that we're doing our job right, keeping things fair and square. So the importance of Christians getting involved in that process is to make sure that there's the integrity of vote because we we want things done right, fair. If the person we don't like gets in, as long as it was done fair, that's our that's our constitutional republic.
0: Man, that declaration. Actually, you got two more.
1: Oh, I keep going. Manhattan Declaration, do we have time to show it? Let's skip it. Really? All Eric right. Metaxas is so good. Go, right, go look it up. Right. First of all, you need to read this document and sign it. You go on a website. It's on the back of your deal Christians that we hand it out. Of two- Isn't he cute? What? You started A thousand-year-old
3: old tradition of proclaiming God's word, of seeking justice, of resisting tyranny, and of reaching out with compassion to the poor, oppressed, and suffering. Like those who've gone before us, Christians today are called to contribute to the common good. That's why we, as Orthodox, Catholic, and Evangelical Christians, have joined together to make a declaration. We don't agree about everything, but we act together in obedience to the God who's laid total claim on our lives to affirm the sanctity of every human life. Marriage as an institution between one man and one woman, and the inherent right of religious freedom for all. My name is Eric Metaxas. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a New Yorker, and I signed the Manhattan Declaration.
1: Go online, read it first. I don't want you to do just because I said or follow what I said and just sign it. Read it, and then um, sign it if you agree. 60 million, 60 million evangelical Christians and apparently only 500,000 have signed it. What's wrong with us? Um, also, there's study materials you can use for your community group. National Day of Prayer. We've kind of talked about this already, so I'm going to kind of skip. There's information there. It's really easy, just like she got excited about doing the voter registration. I got excited about having SACSI have a National Day of Prayer. There's so many helps to do it. We've got you all the emails you need come see me whatever is perfect go i'm done
0: okay let's look at what we got posted under act we got quite a few things here uh just run through these really quickly because we're getting near the end grow up in christ vote righteously vote uh train teach your children communicate with elected officials Follow up your words and promises with actions and habits. Speak the truth. Research candidates. Live what you believe. Vote. Model character. Be familiar with law. Let your light shine. Be informed with what's going on. Don't be passive. Don't be complacent. Persevere with hope. Understand the breadth of Christian concern. Scripture memory. Choose to be informed and aware. We are the living community. Call to support those around us while holding those uh, accountable for their actions. Stand up for those who can't. The unborn. Clarify the source of morality. Contact our legislatures. Meet with like-minded people to speak up for Christian values. Act morally. Be Christ-like. Attend, pray, stand, (laughs) act. Study the Word. (laughs) Lead by example. Encourage believers to yet uh, to get involved in the political process. Be equipped. Active awareness of how current law is challenging our beliefs. Liberty, morality, law, convert and equip people, support politicians. Obey the law myself, except when to do so violates God's law. Good point. John 15, 12. Love others as Christ has loved us. Become better equipped in the Bible. Pray for protection against legal lawsuits as we attempt to challenge government with truth. Good point. Teach children a biblical worldview. Second Timothy 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that's that's all really, really, really good stuff. So uh, I had a little bit here, and we're right getting to the end, so I'm going to skip through this quickly. I had a little bit on writing political letters and, and writing op-eds, and I'll just summarize real briefly. When you do that, don't send them a laundry list of gripes. Stick to one topic when you write, uh, and and... Tell them clearly what the subject is up front, support it with facts, state your opinion. If you're writing to politicians, ask them to take some action, to introduce legislation, vote for a bill, whatever. But be winsome, speak the truth with kindness, and don't threaten them. They know that they're subject to to being voted out at the next election without you telling them. Uh, The main thing I'd add on uh, op-eds and letters to the editor is know the rules of publication for the article and make sure that whatever you're talking about is current in this news cycle. Ronald Reagan said no weapon in the arsenals of the world is as formidable as the courage of free men and women. And I would add to that, free men and women who know Jesus Christ and are committed to obedience and to making a difference in their world. So uh, we're going to wrap up here with a, 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 what we call a call to action. And um, this is actually yours, isn't it?
2: It is. So I'll but stop talking. You're fine. Uh, so I'm going to have you forward one more slide. Thank you. So to have a voice, uh, we must be present. So speak the gospel. uh, Speak biblical truth to those in authority and with uh, winsomely and with kindness. Take practical steps to participate in in this republic. Uh, Register and vote. My favorite. Uh, Not only vote, but be informed when you're voting. Know exactly why you're voting on an issue uh, and for that candidate. Uh, Sign the Manhattan Declaration, as we discussed. Write letters to your elected officials. Um, Even run for office. What a great novel idea. Not very many of us take that on ourselves. Um, But I think that if we... um, I just think it's really important that more of us get involved and um, actively in our government. And for some of us, that is a calling of running for government or running for um, a candidate position, even if it is for... You know, two years or four years and, and okay, I served and then let somebody else take over. That's kind of uh, what it was originally set out to be. Um, and then uh, this is a really long <laughs> scripture from Se- Second Chronicles 36, 15 through 21. So I'm going to let you look this up on your own. But the, then the Chaldeans burned God's temple. They tore down Jerusalem's wall, burned down all its palaces, and destroyed all its valuable articles. He deported those who escaped from the sword to Bala- to Babylon, and they became uh, servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. So this is basically just talking about um, uh, the rise of Babylon. And God did not spare Israel and Judah for their iniquity. Why should we think we as Americans um, should be spared? So it's just something to think about. What, what is that? It's Second Chronicles. 36 36, 15 through 21 i'm sorry i couldn't read all of it for you
1: good quote be strong and courageous go ahead scott i can't emphasize though our conduct we're not going to be liked because of the message jesus in in most cases wasn't popular they rejected him of course they're going to reject us But we're there to speak the truth, but in love. We need to model excellent behavior with the Lord's help by being respectful, winsome, show love. A gentle answer turns away wrath. I have to confess I haven't always done that. They may not agree, but they for sure are not going to listen if you act rude or arrogant or unkind. No matter what, they observe what we do before they listen to what we're saying. We need not compromise biblical truth, but we need to speak it in a way such it be heard.
0: Okay, so to kind of wrap up, here's some actions you can take for 2014. And uh, uh, we're looking ahead. We've got an election next year. It's a little over a year away. Believe it or not, people that are involved in the political process are already positioning and filing and doing different things to prepare for it and thinking ahead. It's actually started when most people aren't thinking about it. Pray for our leaders. Pray for candidates. Pray that we raise up good candidates that can run, uh, people that are committed to obedience to Christ. Pray that God would would, uh, bring about revival, that he would awaken people to the need for moral change in our nation and, and raise up men and women that are committed to speaking God's truth into the civil society. If you're not registered to vote, register to vote. And, uh, we, you know, there's, there's, depending on whose figures, there's 60 to 80 million evangelical Christians out there. Half of them are not registered. And other ones that are registered, half of them don't even go down and vote. Uh, that's not fulfilling our duty. Not, not, not in this society that God has put us in. You can talk about other governments and other societies, that's another matter. Our society, that is a duty under the governing authority. Vote for the candidate that's most closely aligned with God's words, principles, and values. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus isn't running in the next election, okay? No, no politician is perfect. So what you're going to have to do is be discerning. You're going to have to know God's Word. You're going to know a little bit about the issues and be able to discern which one is the most aligned with the principles we believe in and then go support that person. Uh, we're going to have a little activity here, but we've run out of time, and I want to be respectful of that. Uh, again... Uh, don't forget, there's a primary coming up, I believe, in March. I don't know what the date is, but so it wasn't on the Dallas County last time I looked. Uh, sign the Manhattan Declaration. It's, it's kind of surprising with millions of Christians and only half a million people have signed it. Leverage your sphere of influence. Make, make a difference in, in your community or in your town or, or the state, the nation, a party if you're involved, wherever it is. And I'd like to challenge you to, to go home and Think about this and write down three things that you're going to do in 2014 to make a difference in our civil society. This is some contact information. Uh, we, we don't see this as ending. This is something that that uh, Patty and I were kind of called this about a year ago after hearing some talks by James Robeson and... and uh, uh, Tony Evans and some other people and, and realizing this was something that we, that we needed to do. And so uh, we're, we're available. What we envision is that we can be a resource point. We've, we've showed you some of the things out here that we have. We've got some freebies you can take away that can get you in contact with other people if you're interested. There's scorecards from Heritage Action, and uh, there's some DVDs and things. And you've got a lot of resources right there uh, on the sheet that we handed out. But uh, this is our email. Uh, We're also on Twitter, and we have a Pray Stand Act Facebook page. And probably most of this material will get posted eventually uh, on the Facebook page. That's that's my plan for that. But we'll also, anybody that signed the email list, we'll email it to you. We'll email you uh, slides, and we'll email you, um, we're going to write all this up, and we'll get that out there, too. So... uh, we're running just a little bit over and uh, uh forgive me for not quite sticking to the time just remember pray fervently stand firm firmly act decisively but in everything in everything obedience uh to the will of god and i'd like to close in prayer and pastor could i ask you to pray for us would you be willing to do that i didn't ask you ahead of time so i'm putting you on the Certainly. spot
5: Certainly. first of all i want to congratulate uh scott and patty and audrey for an excellent presentation. <laughs> been outstanding. I want to also ask you to please pray for my son. He's in the lion's den. The lions are roaring loudly and he needs to your prayers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we bless you, Father. We thank you for your grace and your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for the privilege we have as Americans to live in a country that was founded on the Word of God, founded on your principles, so that we could be free to worship you and walk in accordance to your Word, Father. Lord God, we have been challenged here today to be light and to be soft, to a world that is becoming more insipid and more full of darkness all around. And Father, we realize that for light to have its function, we must shine that light on darkness. Help us, Lord God, to take the knowledge and the wisdom that we have received here this morning and go out there into the marketplace. Go out there outside of the four walls of the church and touch people. And show them your light, Lord God. The light of the gospel. The light of the truth. That once again, you may be exalted in this nation, Father. That this nation will again become that shining city on a hill. That proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Oh Lord God, give us, Father, that Fire in our bones that you gave the prophet Jeremiah, Father. That we will move forth with the determination and the passion to see this country restored to righteousness. That the foundation of the Constitution and the Declaration that were given to men of God as revelation from you, Father, again become the law of the land.